continuing in our Sunday School series on the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Today we're going to be talking about chapter 12 on adoption. Before we do so, I uh, think very appropriate to let's ask the Lord to be with us and uh, to teach us during the Sunday School hour. Father and our God, we are thankful, Lord, to be able to come into your presence once again. Father, uh, we don't take that lightly to call you Father, as we'll be learning about adoption. Lord, we thank you for that uh, intimate relationship that the children of God have with you because of Christ. So we pray, Lord, that you would um, not only implement these things into our minds, but, Father, into our hearts, that we might practically uh, play this out during the week. And as we build up one another in Christ within the body of the church. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been with us for a while, we've been working our way through the 1689. Uh, I just did a couple of Sunday school lessons on chapter 11. We went through justification. Uh, Today we're going to be working our way through adoption. but to just briefly go through what we've what we kind of been doing is right now we're right in the middle of the Ordo Salutis, or the Order of Salvation. And you can see that um, these are the various things that we've covered through the, um, through the Confession. We're up to Adoption, Chapter 12, and then we'll continue on with Sanctification, and eventually we'll get to um, Preservation and Glorification. But I want you to see that here, you know, even rooted in... Um, God's decree rooted in predestination, uh, we have effectual calling that uh, brings life to a sinner, right? And then it, uh, once the, the, the believer, once the sinner believes the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then they are then justified, adopted, sanctified, eventually um, preserved, and glorified. And I should say all of this... Uh, in our union with our union with Christ, um, because all of these things, even though it's not ex- explicitly stated in every single one of these, it is our union with Christ that is assumed and is uh, essential. So that brings us then to adoption. Um, I'm just going to launch right into it, and then we'll have a few um, things to talk about on that. Um, so here it is. This is what it says. It's, uh, one paragraph. All those that are justified, so we see that link then to uh, the order of salvation of chapter 11 with justification. All those that are justified, God vouchsafed in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have his name put on them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. It's just one paragraph. Um, it's the only chapter in our confession that has just one paragraph. Uh, <clears throat> I've done some reading on this, and uh, there's been some that have suggested that you know, we're kind of deficient in, in adoption uh, in terms of writings. I found one here, J.I. Packard, in his book, Knowing God, said the Puritan teaching on the Christian life, so strong in other ways, was notably deficient on adoption. Uh, another gentleman, Earl Hulse, he was a former editor of Reformation Today magazine. He said in an article on adoption, the Puritans did little in exploring this truth apart from a few paragraphs here and there. Indeed, there is, in our confession, only one paragraph. Uh, the Bible only mentions this a um, few times. Does anyone know how many times that adoption is mentioned in the Bible? Two. 
It's five. Close. I'll give it to you. Five times. Uh, three times in Romans, once in Galatians, once in Ephesians. But I don't want you to think that the brevity that's mentioned here in this chapter, I, I don't want you to undervalue this doctrine, this particular link in the order of salvation. Uh, it still has its own chapter in the confession. It's not an afterthought. It's not a sidebar. But it's only one paragraph. So why is it, why is it here in the, in the confession with its own chapter? I think there's a couple of things um, that are taught by this. You see that it's placed between justification in chapter 11 and sanctification in 13 um, to basically show that there is a proper placement of adoption. Once someone is justified, they are then brought into the family. And since they are family, then they're sanctified. Uh, It might be helpful to go through um, the fact that this isn't justification. It it isn't sanctification. It's helpful to go through the... uh, catechism question of what is justification. If you remember, that says justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. How does this compare with adoption? Well, our catechism also says for adoption, Adoption is also an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. They are similar, justification and adoption are similar in that they are one-time acts. Uh, They need one another. They do not happen without each other. But in justification, you know, God, he is the judge. And he justifies sinners. Whereas adoption, the judge is welcoming into the family the justified sinner. With with justification, it's more forensic, right? With adoption, it's more filial, um, relating to the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. Justification is conceived in terms of the law, Adoption is conceived in terms of love. They're not opposed to each other. They have to go together. Without justification, there is no adoption. So they're similar, but they are yet different. So what about sanctification? Our catechism, Baptist Catechism, question 38, says that sanctification is not an act of God's free grace. It is the work of of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die under sin and to live under righteousness. So this is an ongoing act of God, whereas adoption, or I'm sorry, an ongoing work of of God, whereas adoption is a one-time act of God. It's our status. Sanctification is actually related with adoption in the sense that since we are adopted, It is a living out of that filial relationship into which God brings us from the gospel. It serves then to enhance and helps our understanding um, of our sonship with God in adoption. But to bring it back around um, to the fact that I've I've read that some of the Puritans and even the divines that have written this, this confession... I don't agree that, uh, that they didn't give a whole lot of attention to adoption. I think that they had a strong biblical understanding of what this doctrine really meant. And that it wasn't merely scholastic, but it had real implications, um, and, and it was endearing to the church. We'll see this a little later. But Puritan writers and preachers such as William Ames, uh, Thomas Watson, Samuel Willard, Herman Witsius... William Perkins, John Calvin, John Owen, um, they gave much attention to and, and preached on this precious doctrine. It led them to what I agree with them um, from John, 1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And, and I really want us to dwell on that uh, today, because it's, yeah, it's only one paragraph, <clears throat> But there is so much there. The first 
little 25% of it kind of gives the status of, of who we are, but then 75% of it talks about our benefits in the fact that we are children of God. So let's just jump right into it, um, and we'll go through this language of this paragraph so that we can understand it uh, a little bit more clearly. <clears throat> so this word vouchsafed, God vouchsafed. Does anyone know what that means? I didn't. I had to look it up. It's a, a word that we don't use very often in our English language, uh, but it means to give or to grant, um, bestow in a gracious or a condescending manner. It also can mean to acknowledge somebody in a very favorable relationship or manner. So by his favor, God is granting us the blessing of adoption to the elect individual when he or she believes. Those that are justified, God vouchsafed to make partakers in the grace of, of adoption. Many consider this to be the pinnacle of gospel blessing. We dwell often on the forgiveness of sin. We, we dwell on the fact that we've been redeemed, that we've been justified. Take it further. We've also been adopted into the family of God. How can you get much higher than, than that kind of blessing than to be considered a son or daughter of the Most High God? Um, <clears throat> all right, so moving on. It has this phrase, in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ, reminding us that, you know, in Christ, uh, this in reminds us then of that subtle union with Christ that I mentioned before that is uh, underlying all of this. Then you have this phrase, for the sake of, of Christ, which is reminding us that adoption, just like justification, this is a gift that's been given to us, provided by God through the work of Christ. And then this brings us then to the word grace. Um, why do you think it's in there? Because he could have said, or they could have said, all those that are justified, God vouchsafed in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of adoption. Hmm. How about that? <clears throat> so, why do you think that, um, that grace was put in there? The grace of adoption, not just adoption. Not required, but also not merited. It is of, of grace. Gotta love technology. There we go. Cool. <clears throat> um, yeah, so it again brings to mind uh, the mediation of, of Christ. Um, and just like all the doctrines, it, it is all of God's grace. Uh, he is the one who acts. He is the one uh, who does so on our behalf. We are the one who then receive and rest in Christ's grace, gracious work on, on our behalf. A um, couple of quotes here. Matthew Newcomen, he was a Westminster divine, or writer of, of the Westminster Confession. He said, we're not born heirs of heaven, but we are born heirs of hell. But we are made heirs of heaven by the grace of adoption. It is all of grace. The inheritance is of grace. Our right and title to it is of grace. Our fitting and preparing for it is of grace. All of grace, nothing of merit. All of God, nothing of ourselves. Can you rest in that? <clears throat> yeah, we can rest in that. Jim Renahan pointed out that uh, the blessings of salvation are never rewards for good behavior. They are the wages 
nor are they wages due for services rendered. They are gifts arising from the good pleasure of God. This is our status in in, um, adoption. But I also saw some other quotes that I really... um, that this told me that the Puritans, they got adoption. It wasn't just a, oh yes, this is who we are in Christ. No, they, they understood. Uh, John Murray was one of them. Reflecting on this, he said, this is surely the apex of grace and privilege We would not dare to conceive of such grace, far less to claim it apart from God's own revelation and assurance. It staggers imagination because it's amazing condensation and love. You may have heard the the phrase, you can't make this stuff up. This takes it a step further and says, we dare not make this stuff up. Except God revealed it to us that, wow, I agree with John Mary, Ah, this blows your mind. The condescension and love of of God. William Perkins said, um, he, well, so a little context. Reflecting on all this, he, he, uh, in some of his writings, he didn't even consider royalty as anything that would be desirable by a child of God. In other words, if, if he could be made king, if he could be made a prince, if he just considered well, what could possibly top being adopted into the family of God. And he said, at earthly preferments, which is what he's talking about, Men will stand amazed, but seldom shall you find a man that is ravished with joy in this, that he is a child of God. Why is that? Why would that be? A lack of understanding. A lack of meditating and dwelling on the fact that... Wow, I, no, seriously, I, I, as a believer, I'm a... God's my dad. Um, Thomas Watson. First time I read this, I really teared up. He too got this. He says, It were much for God to take a clod of dust and make it a star. That's, that's, wow, who can do that, right? Uh, It's more for God to take a piece of clay and sin... And adopt it for his heir. That's me. I'm the clay. I'm the dirt. And on top of that, I'm sinful. And he took sinners, justified them, yes, and then brought them into his family? Wow. Now, this is who we are in adoption. Um, so, as we go back to the paragraph, is it any wonder then that those who wrote the 1689, in agreement with their Westminster brothers, um, used about 75% of this paragraph then to, yeah, talk about its rich and eternal benefits and privileges. <clears throat> so, I'm going to pause here. Uh, any th- questions or comments before we get into these benefits? Yeah, um, I'm going to get into that practical a- application like you're talking about there in Romans 8. Um, you know, what, what does this all mean for us? Um, but yeah, 
there, there were some books. Uh, there was actually quite a bit. Uh, I didn't have time to read it all. And I just think that, um, yeah, um, there's, there's been attention to this. Uh, why is there only one paragraph in the confession? Um, not because they were trying to get out of the office at a certain time on a particular day. This is good enough, boys. No, they, they realize this, we got, this is it. Um, and they only, they, they compacted it into one paragraph. But it's not to say that it's, it's been neglected. <clears throat> um, Melanie, yes. And yes, I think that's where that quote came from. Yeah, um, you can ask uh, Cody and Chris. We were going through um, some uh, symbolics in uh, CBTS. Um, they know that uh, this is one of my favorite um, chapters in our confession. Um, I was, uh, yeah, I was enthralled by it as well. Um, and just that intimate relationship that we have with, with the Lord that we don't always focus on, we don't always think about as often. I'm like, man, we need to know more about this. I'm glad I got to devote an entire Sunday school to, uh, to just this chapter, and I didn't just tack it on um, justification like, like I was hoping, or that I was thinking of doing. Um, all right. <clears throat> hey, let's, uh, let's go in, and what, what, uh, what are the benefits, privileges of... Of this, so first it says taken into the number. What do you think that that means? Mm -hmm. But also, what does it imply? Taken, taken from what? Captivity. What was the other one? Yeah, taken from kingdom of darkness, taken from being the fact that we were objects of wrath, that um, God was angry with us, <clears throat> taken in, into the number of, yeah, the elect, <clears throat> going from, as... First John 3 says, taken from the children of the devil, the children of God, by the act of adoption. Uh, also reminded me of a verse in 1 Peter 2. Um, on Wednesday nights, we're going through 1 Peter, right? Um, chapter 2, it says, you were once not a people. You are now a people. Once you did not have mercy. Now you have mercy. <clears throat> taken into the number. But then it also says that we enjoy liberties and privileges of the children of God. What does this mean? And so when we become children of God, we are then able to enjoy these liberties and privileges that come with that. Uh, don't have time to go into all of this, um, but with liberties, uh, we could jump in over to chapter 21 in our confession for more details of what this entails. Um, the first paragraph of that uh, chapter gives us just a taste of these freedoms that will be talked about on the, the paragraphs after this. But it says here that the liberty which Christ has purchased for believers under the gospel consists in the freedom from the guilt of sin, condemning wrath of God, the severity and curse of the law, and in their being delivered from this present evil world, being delivered from the bondage of Satan, delivered from the dominion of sin, from the evil of afflictions, from the fear and sting of death, delivered from the victory of the grave and everlasting damnation. 
as also in their free access to God. We'll talk about that in a minute. And their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and willing mind. These are the liberties and privileges of the child of God. Um, Also, though, it's the opposite for those who are still children of the devil, children of God's, or of of, uh, darkness, objects of his wrath, don't have the freedom from the guilt of sin, have the condemning wrath of God, the severity and curse of the law, all these things. It's very sobering to reread that in thinking of the lost. Another thing that reminds us to pray. What about the privileges? Well, there's a couple of um, scriptures that are cited here. Um, for, just for time, I'm not going to have us read that. But um, we have First John, or John 1.12 there that says, To those who believed in Christ's name, he gave the right to become children of God. Some translations even say the power to become the children of God. <coughs> Excuse me. Romans 8.17 speaks of us being heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What does this mean? So what? When we're tempted to think that God is not there, he's very angry with me. Um, This tells us that it's not just an ideology. This is legal status, we are the children of God. We have the right to become the children. This is really mind-blowing when you consider the fact that we are sinners that are saved by grace. I love this next one. The amazing status we have of bearing God's name. Reminded me of... um, a movie kids and I watched uh, many years ago called Toy Story. If you haven't seen that one, um, one of the main characters in that is uh, Woody. He's a cowboy doll. <clears throat> and at one point in, in the movie, he has to be reminded of who he is, or who, who he belongs to. Um, I think he was nobody. <clears throat> Until one of the other toys pointed out to look at the bottom of his boot. On the bottom of his boot was the name Andy, his owner. <clears throat> and it reminded him that he belonged. He had a name that was put on him that gave him his identity. <clears throat> Having the name of God put on us denotes a, a family relationship that we have. Um, just highlights that aspect. Uh, Jim Renahan actually points out that there's also implied here a special privilege for baptized churches. He notes in our Baptist Catechism question number 100, how is baptism rightly administered? The answer is baptism is rightly administered by immersion or dipping the whole body of the party in water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit according to Christ's institution and the practice of the apostles not by sprinkling or pouring of water or dipping some part of the body after the tradition of men. Points out in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism, yes, is is a place where believers declare their faith and are baptized in God's name. It's the obedient act of, of a new believer declaring Christ's lordship receiving the blessing of being named amongst God's people. Um, Going on then, any any thoughts, questions? Feel free to raise your hand, because I'm going to blast through a lot of this to make sure we get through it. Then they receive the spirit of adoption. Not the same thing as receiving adoption. Um, It's a gift of, of the spirit. A classic passage cited is Romans 8.15. You have received 
the spirit of adoption, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We have the benefit of the spirit because believers are adopted. Why do we have the spirit to remind us that we're children of God? Um, John Owen says, for having freely adopted us and made us heirs, it belongs unto his faithfulness and righteousness to preserve us unto our inheritance. Again, this is all of grace. Uh, it's nothing of ourselves. Even after we're justified and adopted, the Holy Spirit then sustains and preserves us as his children. <clears throat> okay? What about this? Um, having access to the throne of grace with boldness. Uh, this is huge, too. Um, John Owen comments on this as well. He says, this is the great fundamental privilege of the gospel that believers have liberty, boldness, and confidence to enter into the gracious presence of God. Okay, that's great, but perspective here? Recall in Exodus the fearful picture that we get of God coming down on Mount Sinai. Remember that? Where he, he tells Moses to tell them, don't let them approach me. Don't let them draw near. If they cross that line, they will be cut off. They will be destroyed. None were allowed to enter into his presence in the giving of the law. But now, right? With access to the throne of grace, those who draw near now are welcomed. Opposite, those who will not come says that we will be cut off and destroyed. If we will not come at the calling of the Lord in the gospel, we eventually will be cut off. The spirit of adoption, then, in the new covenant, believers are, they receive this privilege that we once did not have. If we could have lived in that era and then time warped into the future, that would have, you, you, you can approach God in grace through Christ? That's amazing. Uh, we were forbidden. We, there, I mean, it, it was a fearful thing. Direct access to the throne of God. <clears throat> now, because we have direct access to the throne of God, the paragraph continues, then we are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, we're pitied, we're protected, provided for, chastened by him as, as by a father. Very filial, very intimate relationship type language, the cry, similar, a child to his or her daddy when in distress. They appeal to him and no one else because no one else is their father. Get this. This is, he hears their cries. They are pitied. Receiving the father's compassion. Psalm 103.13 is cited. It says, like a father pities his children's soul, the Lord pities them that fear him. It says that God's children are then protected. It cites Proverbs 14.26. His children shall have a place of refuge, rest, away from the rest of the world, the rest of the hurt, the pain. God's children are protected. They're provided for because he is a father who loves them. 1 Peter 5, 7, it's cited here. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Because he loves as, as a father. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> excuse me, because we are loved by a father, we are chastened by him as a father. For good in His glory. Um, 
Just yesterday, I, I read this article. Um, it was about a, um, the Archbishop of York over in England. I don't know if any of you saw this. Uh, he had a problem with um, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven. He's like, you know, that's, that's rather problematic because a lot of people have had really bad relationships with their dad and it didn't go well and, and I think maybe we, we should stop saying that. Um, all kinds of, you know, red flags at that, of course, but if, if we're doing something similar, like, well, I, I, just, I just can't accept God because I, I can't, my relationship with my dad wasn't that great. Uh, just, and uh, God created my dad, so that must be what God is like. That is a looking at God through the eyes of human relationships instead of looking at human relationships through the eyes of God which is what we're giving here is an example of that in adoption, taking what the Bible says that true fatherhood should look like and then applying that to my earthly father and realizing that my earthly father is not perfect. And I've been given grace by my heavenly father. I can give grace to my, my dad too. Um, no. We don't look at fatherhood that's described as God in the Bible through the eyes of my experience. We don't go through experience. We go to scripture. Amen? Truth. Not circumstances. <clears throat> Alright. But why do it, you know, yet not cast off? Often, um, often the 1689 would put things in because it was saying something um, to counter an argument or a falsehood, false doctrine that was going on during the day. So um, <clears throat> I thought that was interesting that they, they put in this phrase, yet never cast off. Uh, in reading, during that time, there were some Lutherans who said that we could be temporarily cast off. Um, but there were also some Arminians, Quakers, Socinians, if I'm saying that right, who said, no, um, we could be cast off totally and finally, which upset a lot of people. These were the errors that made it necessary for um, the divines to put this in here. But the Lord's heavy hand at times, is not an indication that we've been separated from the family. Um, and, and we can understand this, right? Um, when my sons or my daughter disobey and, and I'm disappointed with them and I perhaps am even angry, <clears throat> does that mean they've lost the Brinkley name? Well, that's, that's absurd, Right? There's a res restoration of that relationship that needs to take place. But it never, even the worst that we could have encountered, that they haven't lost my name. We haven't lost the fact that we are sons and daughters of God in our sin. So the divines put this in here. Yeah, there might be times that we're chastened by him as by a father, a holy, righteous, good just father, yet never cast off. <clears throat> True believers are a part of his family, and they can never be cast off. Uh, we saw in paragraph 5 of, of chapter 11 on justification. Um, they can never fall from the state of justification. <clears throat> so this doctrine right here, brothers and sisters, true believers are secure in Christ. This is a hallmark of our faith. Let me ask you, what would it mean if we could be cast off? Life of fear. Life of fear. What did you say, Melanie? Yeah. Um, 
I'm assuming, though, that let's say that God was a liar and he's like, mm, yeah, you cross that line and yeah, you could, might be out. So Pastor White said, life of fear, which is, um, I, I, I grew up with some of that. Was it this sin that finally I went beyond grace? But it also implies that the work of Christ is not effectual. That it, 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 there is no effectual calling. <clears throat> Justification is ineffective. Adoption is ineffective. Sanctification, it's up to me. Preservation of the saints, yeah. Don't know. Glorification, yeah. Never cast off. What would it look like if adoption was not part of the order of salvation? What would that look like? still be justified? Yeah, barely, barely getting in. I mean, <clears throat> there's something missing. There's really something missing. And you can, you can start to understand that again, similar a little bit with our earthly relationships after discipline the discipline's been administered legally in a sense it's been taken care of the father gets up and walks away where where is that restored relationship Where, where um, there's something missing. Dick? So, it says here right at the beginning, if we were not adopted, we wouldn't, we wouldn't enjoy the reason privileges as children of God. That's the consequence. It's not being adopted. It's such an essential aspect of salvation. <clears throat> and I really want you guys to walk away with, with that. And um, how, Okay, so, yeah, how does this um, I'm going to skip some of this. How does this affect us? How does it apply to us today? Right off the bat, this should be affecting our prayer life. <clears throat> um, now, this was explicitly seen, right, in um, here where it says um, that we cry, Abba, Father, out to Him. That's a very explicit um, expression of prayer. Um, G.I. Williamson said only those who are adopted can pray in a manner accepted unto God. But you're coming in prayer not addressing a judge. Your Honor, it is a privilege and uh, a grace to even be standing before your presence. Um, I would appeal unto your righteousness that you would How does adoption change that? Father, it's great to be with you this morning. Man, I just praise you for who you are in my life. I, God, there's some things I need to talk to you about. I, I want to trust you in this. I'm struggling with this. I confess sin. Give thanks. There's that, there's that intimate relationship that adoption brings that we have access. We just talked about boldly, confidently before the God and being honest with him, not disrespectful <clears throat> coming in, in humility coming as a child to their father 
That affects our, our prayers. It should affect our prayers. What else does it affect? Our worship. We're about to enter into worship. How does this affect us? We come in humility, in wonder, in adoration. These are all right responses entering into worship when we have a proper understanding that we are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. It also affects obedience. Oh, really? How, how, how does that, that work? Oh, well, we're obeying out of a childlike reverence and, and love for the Father. Jeremiah Burroughs, I like what he said. He's like, do all that you do out of love, not be not mercenary. Oh, mercenary, what does that mean? It's being concerned about what I can get out of it. So he continues and says, a servant does not care to do anything further than that which he might be paid for. But a child doesn't do that. He does what he does out of love. I really want to focus on this one. How does adoption affect us when we are going through really hard times? For the believer, hear me, there is stability in times of trials and suffering. For even under the rod, even if this has to do with my sin and I'm being affected by it, I'm not forsaken. We might be tempted to say, yes, uh, man, maybe God is really angry with me and he's dealing pretty harshly with me. Uh, Have I been cast off even temporarily? Am I really his child? But this is not fit for a child of God who has been justified and adopted, is being sanctified. As we just saw in paragraph 5 of justification, right? God continues to forgive the sins of those who are justified. They can never fall from the state of justification. Never fall from the state of justification and being adopted. Um, His name is on my boot, as it were. with any trial or suffering that comes, whether by our own sin or a trial that God has seen fit to bring to us, we might rightly remember the fact of our sonship and that we can trust our Father to lead us through the hardships. As Jonathan mentioned, for our good and his glory, all those things working together for good. Because we can trust a God who knows us, knows our frame, and is good in all his ways. Lastly, rejoice. This was something that was really treasured by the Puritans. Um, Of course, why why, why rejoice? Of course. Uh, No, this is one that we should be remembering at all times. Simply of the fact that we are in our Father's presence at all times. We can't escape it. Even our earthly fathers with great relationships aren't with us all the time. I like this part that I, I read. In justification, we receive and we rest. And that's great. In adoption, we rejoice in those things. So yeah, uh, adoption applies to us in, in all these areas every day of the week, especially on Sunday. Get to see my dad. I'm going to worship my dad. So the fact that the majority of this chapter then focused on blessing indicates that this doctrine, brothers and sisters, this doctrine is not merely scholastic. It's not merely a, oh, oh, an academic study. Oh, yeah, I, I, I get that. But this is one that secures us. This is one that comforts us. It gladdens our faith. Spurs us on to good works to encourage one another in these things as we recall our adoption with one another in the family of God. All 
helped by, preserved by, the spirit of adoption. This is good stuff. It was a joy to study this. Any final comments or questions that you might have on this? Karen. Earthly adoption is but a dim picture. I mean, um, can be good, um, <clears throat> but ultimately, the adoption of our Father, bringing us into His family—that is the perfect picture of it. Um, all right, I'm out of time, so let us uh, go ahead and close in prayer, and we'll enter into worship of our heavenly Father. Father, our God, we, we thank you for this doctrine of, um, of adoption that we've studied, that the writers of the 1689, the divines, had, had poured their, their hearts, their minds into scripture to read of this and to be able to pass it on to us. Lord, we thank you this morning for this privilege. Lord, let this affect us as we go into worship this morning. But not just here, Lord, the rest of our life, as we're being sanctified, as we're being preserved until the day when our faith will be sight and we are glorified with you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to know a little bit more of you and the relationship that we have as sons and daughters in Christ, in God. In your name we pray, amen.